Hey, sweet souls. Welcome back to What's the Tea podcast, where we have candid conversations over our cups of herbal tea. This is Jesse Rose, just tuning you into episode three, coffee, climate change, sustainability, and coming closer to the earth with Ben Merrick. We are so honored to have Ben as our first guest on the podcast and to share the candid wisdom that came from this conversation with you. So please, if you have the time and the space, grab a cup of herbal tea and come on this journey with us. And I'll just really quickly read a little bit of Ben's academic bio so you can get a feel for his work. But please, I totally encourage you to visit the show notes for all the yummy info shared in this episode and for a full bio of Ben. And you can connect to his website, his work, and his business there as well. So Ben Merrick obtained his master's degree from Lund University in environmental studies and sustainability science. And while studying there was also the chairman of Halbert University at Lund. He received his bachelor's degree from Webster University in biology with an emphasis in biodiversity. And that is totally something we dive deep into today and really feeling into the biodiversity of our beautiful planet. One thing that we do talk about in this episode that I just wanted to briefly share is the sustainability of smudge bundles. And this is a really passionate topic of mine. And I just feel very energetic about protecting our at-risk or endangered species, especially when it comes to smoke medicine and smudge. Um, protecting our allies such as white sage and tobacco and palo santo so i really want to be a resource for you or anyone who's curious about wrapping their own medicine so if you are interested you can learn how to wrap your medicine that's around you and do it in a really ritualistic sustainable and yeah honorable way I have a workshop that will teach you all how to do that and support you in all of your ventures with smoke medicine. If it is not an option for you or you don't feel called to wrapping your own medicine, although I will encourage that first and foremost, rather than being a consumer, I really believe in teaching and learning and being able to do all of this yourself rather than having to... um, rely on so many other moving pieces and I think it's so beautiful to have that experience with the plants and to get to know them on that deep level and really have this intimate connection with them and that's totally priceless and I can't put that feeling and that that love that goes into that whole creation I can't it's priceless you can't yeah you just totally can't put a price on it so I really encourage you to just get out there and to learn and explore and create yourself but of course not all of us might have that opportunity and if you just want to call uh if you just want to support sustainable wild crafting I do offer smudge bundles on my website for an energy exchange and I do even offer customs as well so if you're feeling called to certain plants or need smoke medicine for a particular thing I would love and be truly honestly honored to be a facilitator and a bridge for you and the plant kingdom and doing it in a way that 
genuinely appreciates the sacredness of the plant and using plants that are very abundant and considered invasive where I or you are typically on the globe. So if you are interested in that, you can visit my website, rootedspirit.love, and I'll give you, our lovely listeners, a discount code of 22% off, and you can find the discount code in the show notes. And I really do my best to keep my business as sustainable as humanly possible. And I do that because my work is really rooted in the love for the earth. I see my work as a way for me to offer back to the earth as she has provided for me and us. And it is my, I I just feel like it's my obligation and my duty to move from love and center my work around protecting her so you can totally trust that I'm doing things in a really really mindful way like my my business cards are made from wildflower seed paper because I just couldn't get myself to do it any other way <laughs> but if you have any fears around uh shipping sustainably I hope that I can ease your mind in that way And in this episode, I'm also sipping on some ceremonial cacao from an indigenous women's collective in Guatemala. And I'm also enjoying some raw local honey. And I created a blog post for anyone who might be interested in learning more about that cacao company and where I get my honey or just learning about how to support local and indigenous communities in this way. So... Just a final note of gratitude to all the plants in our cups. I will always do this. And um, especially today because some of what we are sipping on is more exploited and often just kind of underappreciated. So I just wanted to give a moment of some deep love for these plants for playing such an important role in our beautiful ecosystem and for all the times us humans may have fallen to this worldview of not meeting these plants where they are and not seeing their importance, not recognizing them and their essence and their spirit and not loving them enough. Okay, we hope this episode gets your creative juices flowing and inspires you to come closer to the earth and do it in a sustainable way for your unique ecosystem and your unique world. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with us. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to What's the Tea, my loves. It's so good to be here with you. So we have a special guest today, but first we are going to invite you to ground with us. Okay. So if you're sitting right now, just get into a comfortable seated position. If you're standing, you should probably take a seat. (laughs) Um, And gently close your eyes. Just taking a moment here to just come into the space wherever you are, stopping whatever it is you're doing for a few breaths with us. Begin to envision the roots of a tree growing out of your spine, grounding you into the earth. And as you inhale, sending the breath down through your spine into those roots, connect and the earth with you. Taking a few more breaths here, coming into your center and into this space with us. 
And if you need to, you can pause here before we continue with the podcast and take a few more breaths. And we're going to come back into this space just by wiggling the body just a little bit. Move your fingers and your toes. And whenever you're ready, gently open your eyes. I literally just needed like one moment of breath there. And mm. crazy how grounding it can be. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should do that every time. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so we're here today with our first guest, Ben. Hi. <laughs> I'm Ben. <laughs> um, so Jesse and I have been just kind of letting the conversations flow, and we're going to do that as well today, but we're going to be focusing a little bit more on sustainability, as that's what Ben can speak about. Um, but before we do that, let's dive into our cups. Jesse, do you want to start? Sure. Actually, I would love if you guys started. Do, do you mind? I feel like yes okay I'll go I'll go I'll go no it's okay we just have a lot going on oh no you're right you're right okay um so today in my cup I have some pine so I loved that you made the connection to the trees like right away (laughs) um yeah I went out and forged some on my farm the other day and I actually found a new pine tree so I was really excited about that because I didn't know that that one was there on my property um so yeah I have some pine I'm really excited to share a little bit about pine as well and I have a little bit of cacao I have some cinnamon I have um, a little bit of hemp milk and I also have some local honey from a sustainable beekeeper from Necker Farm in Brantford, Connecticut. And I'll go into that a little bit more later in detail. Do you want to go into that deeper now or? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It's okay if you don't. We can go now. Yeah, sure. Okay. So Ben and I are doing the same thing. Um, partially made by me, partially made by him. Um, It was kind of tricky, like trying to figure out what to make for someone else, because I always go very intuitively with what I need in my cup for that day. So I made like an overall, like I called it life support elixir. So it's a little fancier than just a regular tea. Um, And I started by making a decoction of burdock and dandelion and ginger and licorice and eleuthero root. Um, so we have some liver support there, some immune support and, um, an adaptogen for support with stress. And then after I made that decoction, I brewed a tea with echinacea, elderflower and St. John's wort. And then I allowed that to cool. And then I blended it into a hazelnut milk, a homemade hazelnut milk, um, with vanilla and Himalayan. And then we added chaga tincture um for like overall support chaga is like the king of mushrooms and um immune support longevity like all those things and then i also added ashwagandha for some more of those adaptogenic benefits um and then the brain and body blend by host defense with reishi lion's mane turmeric and ginger again for that like longevity 
and like overall life support. <laughs> so, and then lastly, um, Ben brewed us some coffee and I added a little bit of that to mine and he's got a lot more than I do, but it just, it's a really great flavor and he's probably going to talk about coffee a little bit. So we'll get into that. <laughs> Yay. Oh, and cacao. Did I? That's like the whole thing. It's a cacao elixir. <laughs> yeah we have uh i'm really happy that we both have cacao all three of us have cacao (laughs) um yeah and oh my gosh what a delightful cup you guys have like so many allies so much love and support wow yeah um the cacao is like I was talking to Ben about this before we started, but like cow for just like happiness, like it just makes me so happy. Um, and I'm usually drinking cacao elixirs when I'm not drinking tea. So, yeah, I I have a lot of cacao in my life as well. <laughs> very blessed, very blessed. <laughs> um, so, Jesse, did you want to share any more about your cup, or do we want to give Ben the floor? I guess I could talk a little bit about pine. I feel like I could talk about pine for like my life. (laughs) But yeah, I really have been like connecting with pine the past like week. Pine has been coming up a lot throughout my conversations. And um, which is why I was like so excited to find that tree outside. I was like, oh my gosh, I was actually going. I walked outside because I saw from inside my house through the window, I saw some mushrooms on a birch tree. And I was like, oh, what are those? I'm going to go look. And so I go outside and I'm going, I'm heading towards the mushrooms. And for some reason, I just like turn my head and look behind me. And there's like tree, three trees. And I thought they were all cedar, but two of them are cedar. And then um, or I'm sorry, spruce. And then the one behind it is the white pine. And I was like, oh, I stopped dead in my tracks because I was like, wait a minute. I'm like looking at the leaves and I'm like, um, or the needles. And I'm like, wait, this is definitely white pine. So I like left the mushrooms and I went right over, headed right towards the pine and spent like lots of time with her. And um, yeah, pine. Oh my gosh. There's so many spiritual associations with pine. There's also so much like medicinal um, ways in which that we can use pine and also just like in everyday life, like we can use the sap and it's been used for um, many, you know, many moons (laughs) as a binding force. And there's just so many beautiful ways that we can use pine. Um, And yeah, like I, love thinking about pine and connection to the pineal gland and seeing the like Fibonacci sequence and the and the spirals of the pine and I just love like the symbols of pine I love the doctrine of signatures and um, I've recently been thinking about the signature of sound with the pine which was brought to me by Matthew Wood and one of his students lay And she was really talking about how, like, when you hear the wind blowing in between the pine needles, like, that is uh, one of Pine's doctrine of signatures and that kind of, like, soothing, like, (sighs) 
like aspect <laughs> so <laughs> so I like my sounds <laughs> but um yeah so I've been kind of like playing with that as well and just really like I, I spent a lot of time looking at pine and trying to just appreciate the patterns that I see in pine that are really reflective within our body um, really yeah. reflective of like our nerves and yeah our, our neurons and there's just so many even our spine there's so many ways that like we can look at pine and see parts of ourselves even in like our brain and I just think it's just so beautiful <laughs> yeah that's like yeah, I mean, I didn't even know a lot of what you just said, um, but I was reading Braiding Sweetgrass last night, and yes. I was reading the section about um, sap, so connection there, because it was, like, really powerful to read, too, um, but also Ben had a big smile on his face when he said Matthew Wood. <laughs> I did. Ooh. <laughs> so funny over here, but not really. Oh, it was a pun. Oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> I missed that. Oh, I wow. did miss that one. <laughs> well, he, he's a very well-known herbalist, so I guess yes. the name suits. Uh, you're familiar, more familiar than yeah, I. Yeah, I thought you were familiar, but I like the I like the pun too. <laughs> funny here. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one of the medicinal. Too. Oh, Sorry, go ahead. Pun. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. Share. Um, I just wanted to touch on like the vitamin C aspect of yes, because that's like a big thing for this time of year and like one of the you know like pine is one of the few um herbs that are easily available to us in the winter and we need that vitamin c so it's just uh another um example of the plants being there when we need them um, that we talked about in our first episode so yeah totally and i was actually reading in stephen Hare buner's the lost language of plants mm -hmm. um it's like the ecological importance of plant medicines on the earth or life on earth i think and um it was funny i was like reading and it was like a story about pine and how like um I think it was a story from like 1800 or something. And someone was talking about like seeing someone try to chop like all the 15 pines that were left on the land where they were living. And like the people couldn't chop the pine down. And um, I was like, yes, so resilient. Like, I love it. But in that book too, someone I, I don't know, so I can't like quote. So sorry, shout out to whoever said it. <laughs> <laughs> but they said like pine the great mistake and they said um there might not be so many uh, white men um on north america if the indigenous peoples didn't tell the white men about the vitamin c aspect of the pine because they were like take the vitamin c because in the winter or take the pine for the vitamin, you know, I don't think they probably said vitamin C, but like <laughs> <laughs> um, to ward off diseases and, and illnesses in the winter. So I thought that was just like really kind of interesting. Um, yeah. And just how, yeah, how pine is very powerful for boosting our immune system. And um, yeah, and the it's also too, um, is high in antioxidants. Um, so that's like really good for the winter time too. It's also really good for maple syrup is really good for the brain. Um, that's not pine, but like the sap, I think mm. as well. Um, but you can make syrup with like any type of sap, honestly. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think feel like the last thing I'll say about pine and then I'll just stop talking about pine. Cause you're going to have to stop <laughs> me. <laughs> um, is how like strong pine is. And I kind of mentioned that, but like, how it's always with us in all of the seasons and I think it's a great like reflection of how we can just stand tall in the midst of everything happening around us you know and we can um yeah it's just like moving through the cycles and still finding grace and strength and through through all the natural cycles of life so yeah and nature yeah and just like the staying green through through the dark times, like being true to who you are, and like you said, standing strong, standing tall through like those those darker days. Aww, I love that staying green. <laughs> stay green. <Like laughs> Hashtag stay green. <laughs> okay. But, okay. I'm gonna give the floor to Ben. Um, yes. You wanna tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, <clears throat> but first I'd like to say thank you to both of you, Jesse and Michaela, for inviting me here and allowing me to speak a bit on sustainability. So my contribution to what's in our cups is this coffee from Panama. It comes from the farm Hartman. Uh, and that's kind of the focus of what I would do with sustainability is I'm looking at the relationship between coffee and sustainability, the industry as a whole. Um, because sustainability is such a huge topic, I definitely needed to focus a bit and put it into something. And today, just like you have drinks in our cup, coffee is also a beverage, but it starts off as a plant, the seed of a cherry. Um, so yeah, where do I, there's so many things to discuss. <laughs> um, I actually, I got up, maybe I'll save this because this is actually really nice. Should I read this now? Yeah, do it. I don't know what it is, but do it. (laughs) Actually, this might be a really good segue. Um, So when I was studying sustainability uh, in school, I was studying environmental studies and sustainability science. Uh, I came across this author named Arturo Escobar. He's an anthropologist who focuses in Latin and South America, but lives in North America in the US. Um, His big conversation is on post-development and degrowth. And there's a lot of that that plays into modern day colonialism and imperialism. And his main topics are land rights um, with indigenous groups. Uh, Since I had some free time in 2020, I purchased his new book, which was published in 2020. And I gave it a read. and when you open it, he leaves a little, a little, I don't know, it's like half a paragraph, but I just wanted to share it with you because I think a lot of my discussion on sustainability will actually resonate with what he said. And it's really nice. I appreciate it when my ideas like in my head are also, they find words in somebody else. And so, yeah, so that's why I'd like to, maybe there's some, some others out there that this will resonate with. So it goes. To all those groups engaged in the defense of the pluriverse, particularly 
particularly to native peoples worldwide for their historical cosmologies of intimacy with the earth, to all the women who resist masculinist modes of living for the nurturing relational worlds of care in everyday life, to the Palestinian people for their tenacious struggle against occupation and their determined resistance against colonial one-worldism, and to the earth itself, soil, plant, animal, water, air, spirit, in reverence and trust. Mm. What's the name of this book? Yeah, so the name of this book is called Pluriversal Politics, The Real and the Possible, and it's by Arturo Escobar. Um, that was beautiful. So when I got into studying sustainability, well, it was kind of a zigzaggy of a path. It wasn't like a straight line, but I essentially, yeah, right. <laughs> Always zigzagging. I was working at a coffee shop and I was going to school and I wanted to be a marine biologist and study whales, right? So already there's a lot going on there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I realized that if I wanted to like work with whales or like do whale preservation and conservation of their habitats and everything involved, I realized that I can't just have an environmental discussion. Like the, you, I realized almost immediately that the conversation became economic and political social studies and their social sciences, they were going to be a huge part of the discussion. Um, so then I, I realized, uh, yeah, it's time to pick something new, but I didn't really know where to go. And just like I had buzzword, I heard sustainability. I was like, well, what, what is that? What does that mean? And, you know, it, it wraps everything into one simple word and I realized how confusing that is. So I wanted to get in there and figure out if there's something that I could bring to the table to make it a little bit more clear and distinct and less, uh, yeah, confusing and obscure. So yeah, with that, I realized one of the biggest dilemmas is that Although we live, although we all live on earth, we come from different worlds. And that's why I also chose coffee today. And that's why I'm also introducing this idea of pluriversal politics, because those two things are almost synonymous. Like coffee grows in the tropics, which is from the Tropic of Capricorn to the Tropic of Cancer. It's along the equator and goes all the way around the globe. Um, but coffee is grown there, but it goes out to mainly to the global north, let's say. And this is a, this is a part of a large colonial history. But one thing that's packaged in that deal is the notion that we all live in one world. But since coffee grows in many different countries, each one of those countries, in a sense, each farm or each community can be thought of as a world. So there's a huge idea here that I think is essential to understanding how sustainability exists, is that there isn't one sustainability for the world. Sustainability exists different everywhere. And 
for me, coffee is a great example of that because coffee tastes different depending on the environmental conditions that the plant itself grew in. And so this one we're drinking today is from Panama. And, you know, it's hard to discuss flavors because there's no right or wrong way to taste. It's just like if you like it or not. So, but I'll save that coffee discussion for a later time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's a lot there. I, do you have like a question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it's like really important. Um, just the, I guess this is where you differentiate in a lot of ways from other discussions of sustainability is that one world, or not one world idea, the different worlds, because it's like we are trying to find like solutions for all these different problems that we're facing when it comes to the environment. And it's almost saying like, well, everyone needs to do this and everyone needs to do that. And I think that we can all contribute to that change, contribute, contribute to that change in our own ways. Um, and some may be sustainable for others, not just for the earth, but sustainable for a person or the, as you said, like the world that they live in. And it might not be sustainable for like others. And um, I think that this is a topic that should be discussed more in you're talking about coffee but also in the world of um like when it comes to food um because there's this idea that just like a vegan diet is sustainable i think we're starting to recognize a lot more um that that's not always true either um because for example if someone is getting most of their fats from nuts for example the amount of water that goes into producing like those nuts and also where they're coming from, like cashews, for example, do not grow here in the north. Um, so like if someone is vegan relying on nuts for their source of fat, then that's not the most sustainable option. Um, does, that make, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> almonds, almonds too, for sure. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. really up there. That's why, yeah, Jesse, I'd like to kind of allude back to what you had said about the pine being pretty much in your backyard, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that mentality that it's right there. Um, but that pines aren't necessarily everywhere. They're distributed unevenly across the, the surface of the earth, which kind of makes them unique. Um, so yeah, here we're up in the Pacific Northwest, but they're pretty common. But yeah, if you go to a different uh, territory or biome, you're not going to be, you know, like for an extreme example, like, yeah, the rainforest or desert, <laughs> you're not going to be seeing them quite often at all. <laughs> um, but it's definitely that, that idea of, you know, sourcing locally. Um, that's huge because, um, you know, there's this dynamic between thinking that everything in this globalizing world can be available everywhere, which is kind of riddling the problem. Because um, we do live in like a global market uh, society. However, you know, the it's more of, how do I express this? Rather than thinking of, you know, one world going into many different crevices on earth, from global to local that is, 
I kind of flip the script and I say, what about local back up to the globe? You know, because that's the other side of the relationship is that it's in one sense, one's moving in, but when it does, it also takes things out. But the more locally you can exist, there's also, I'm overanalyzing my use of the word existing. <laughs> He's a Virgo, that's why. <laughs> I felt like it didn't totally fit, but it, you know, I'll just let it lie for now. Um, yeah, I think it's those things, those local things that make a place unique that are the most important to preserving in regards for sustainability because they keep places different from everywhere else. Yeah, and I think that this is a huge topic. I went on to veganism, but also like um, we've been talking a lot about plants and it's a huge topic for herbalism too. We've seen it with ginseng, for example. Um, Asian ginseng, it's, I mean, well, as I said that, I just thought of like so many other examples, but there's so many plants that are now on the endangered species list or some that like we really can't source anymore um, because they're being sourced at like a larger scale to send to, again, like the Northern hemisphere um, from different countries around the world. And it's, yeah, it's not a sustainable way to work with herbalism and tying back into the pine. We have so many um, herbs and so many different plants that can function pretty much, not exactly the same way, but similar to the way another one might function. So like ginseng um, is an adaptogen. And we talked today about what we have in our cup, which is a luthero root. And it might not be the most sustainable option either, but it's another option for ginseng. Um, I'm trying to think specifically. Jesse, do you know any, like off the top of my head, I can't think of any plants that we know to be on the endangered species list that have an alternative that might be like available to us here in the Pacific Northwest or in New England? I'm not really um, sure about, you know, where you guys are, but I would just, I feel like my biggest recommendation would be for people to do their research first to see what is on the watch list or at mm-hmm. risk list. Um, there is an organization I feel like Ben you might know <laughs> some yeah, but, lovely organizations but there is um the United Plant Savers and if you go to their website you can actually download a free in um watch list and um you will probably be surprised with some of the things that are on there and um yeah you can even become a member I actually asked for that for Christmas this year I was like if anyone wants to give me a gift you can (laughs) buy me an animal membership to the United Plant Savers so yeah that that could be a good way to just start to learn about some of the things on you know the watch list yeah and actually Mountain Rose Herbs did a free webinar which I believe if you check it out and it should hopefully still be there they did a whole lecture on immunity herbs and what herbs you can use instead of ones that are on that watch list so they talked a lot about demulsants and um, they gave a lot of beautiful options instead of using um, ones that are kind of on the list so those might be just some good resources yeah and while we're on this topic really quick i just wanted to touch on the um, topic of white sage for smudge bundles Um, because as we're moving into this, like, new age of, 
um, I don't even really know how to say it, but like spirituality is like growing and it's become like kind of trendy. And um, we have Santo and Sage Smudge Sticks that for a long time, even before like this new, like trendy idea of it, I don't really like using the word trendy, but like, I don't know how else to explain it, but they're endangered, both Palo Santo, uh, Palo Santo and um, White Sage. So I just wanted to touch on that really quick because there are so many herbs that you can put into smudge bundles that like have the same benefits and even more. And we do not need to just turn to Sage or Palo Santo for smudging. You can literally like go in your backyard pretty much anywhere you are and and find so many herbs that you can smudge with. I like to use rosemary. If you're in Portland, it grows rapidly, like around the city, like not even in the forest, like walk down the street and you will find rosemary like everywhere you turn. Now, if it's in someone's front yard, don't just go and steal their, their rosemary. <laughs> but a lot of people in Portland, like don't even, probably don't even know they have the rosemary, aren't using the rosemary. Um, so like you can always ask, but rosemary is a good example for, um, smudge bundles or smudge sticks. Um, Jesse has a lot of mullein at her property and mullein is actually really good to put in your smudge sticks because it helps to allow them to burn longer. Um, what else do I like to put in? Mugwort. Mugwort, yes, mugwort is mm -hmm. great. The queen. Yeah, yarrow, I like yarrow yes. for protection. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's so many things. Like, maybe we'll add some extra um, ideas in the show notes. But I want to get back to Ben because I have a question for you. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> um, so when it comes, we just talked about, like, herbs for sustainability. What would you recommend if someone is trying to look for a more sustainable solution for their morning coffee? Like, where would, where would one start? Yeah. Um... <laughs> well wait because i'm tr i'm i guess i have two thoughts immediately one is like would you look at the things that you're growing in your garden or my other thought was like you know there's traditional knowledge out there about ethnobotany is essentially what i'm getting at we love ethnobotany sorry because <laughs> <laughs> then it's like maybe there were like you know other like, you know, other traditions of people who are inhabiting the land on which you live, that this indigenous group came up with a morning drink or something uh, from a plant that is locally available. Um, I guess, I think bioavailability is the term that I'm looking for. Can I, locally available, bioavailability. Um, but yeah, maybe there. I would start with like, you know, what are you growing in your garden? What's thriving there? But also then, uh, yeah, looking, you know, doing a little bit of research and looking at, you know, some of the indigenous groups and potential tribes that were, you know, in the area. And what were they, I guess, ingesting for, <laughs> I don't really know the right term, but yeah. There's, um, so I'm not a coffee drinker myself. It makes me like really anxious, actually. Um, caffeine does that to me. But another option for energy, if that's what you're looking for, like a wake me up energy thing, if that's what you're looking for with your coffee, 
is cordyceps, which can be grown in your house. (laughs) That's really cool. Um, And I can't really dive into that because I don't know enough about it yet, but that might be something to look into if you're interested in mushrooms, if you're interested in like um, just doing your own thing, like trying to find your own way and like putting your like energy into what you're consuming. Um, You can cultivate a lot of different types of mushrooms in your house and cordyceps is a good replacement for coffee and cordyceps with cacao as well. But there's also the sustainability factor to cacao too. Um, Mm -hmm. When it comes to cacao, yeah, there's a lot that goes into that as well. You just brought up something very interesting. And I think it relates directly to uh, coffee in the sense that there was a huge growth and coffee in the sense that it fulfilled a desired effect to get energy. And so you drink coffee in the morning to have that energy kick. Um, But I think there's something here that, you know, I'd like to at least shed a little light on. It's not necessarily for effects, but it's about supporting the world or the way in which you move through it. Um, I think that's one thing that with coffee, has been a little bit, you know, oversold is that like you drink coffee to get that energy boost, but there's so much more to it. Just as I, I think like you guys are going after, there's so much more to the use of plants as well. Um, and with me, coffee is so much about flavor, which is why I kind of abstain from, you know, discussing it too much. Um, but there is something unique to each and every cup of coffee because each and every coffee bean is different. So. I always tell people like if you do have a cup of coffee that you enjoy, it just tastes differently than anyone you've had before. You know, savor that because those seeds are never going to grow in those exact same environmental conditions ever again. So there is something unique there. Um, and yeah, I don't drink it for an effect. I drink it out of pleasure because I I don't think I need to say more, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. Um, that led me to a thought, too, but I lost it. I yeah, mean, I think... Go ahead, Jesse. <laughs> I'm really glad that you just brought up how no coffee bean is the same. And I just thought that was can be reflected in so many things even like you know if we were to dip like our foot in a pond of water (laughs) it's like never going to be the same person in that water dipping the foot and the water is never going to be the same either so I just feel like it it's a very powerful reflection that we see a lot in nature and within ourselves and I'm just happy that you shared that and that you're sharing these views of coffee and bringing reverence and respect to to this beautiful plant and um yeah I've really been working with the enjoyment of coffee rather than working with it for the effects. And I think that can also transcend to, of course, like us working with the plants um, and the trees and all of nature. Yeah, I think that it's almost ironic because 
it's like a reminder. This reminds me of the Nettles conversation we had, Jesse, about like how it stinks and it's a reminder to like slow down and like be present. But it's like oftentimes coffee is used for that like wake me up to like get through our fast paced lifestyle. But with Ben talking about the taste here, it's like take a moment, slow down and enjoy that moment because you're never going to have that moment again. Um, so it's kind of ironic the way that it's often used but now yeah. what I'm saying about it's like a different way to view it and in turn a different way to move through life yeah and I think a different way to respect the to respect coffee yeah you know I mean because we've seen it like I, I feel like we see this all the time where it's like um coffee was we see this with coffee we see this with tobacco we've seen I was just gonna with, say that <laughs> yeah with cacao with now mushrooms these are sacred plants that have been used ritualistically for centuries and they've become a part of our modern day-to-day -day life with the lack of the ritual and the lack of the intention behind their use yeah yeah and now really just exploiting these plants and on a mass level and i'm glad that you brought up tobacco as well i would just like to give some gratitude and some reverence to that plant and to all the plants that are out there yeah. oh how did i forget this but cannabis as well mm -hmm. what is that what is it <laughs> i've never heard of that <laughs> i thought maybe one of you would know and could lead the discussion is that lettuce lettuce I mean, lettuce is probably overused, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of, like, the cauliflower and how many yeah. different, like, it's one, it was initially one plant, and then, you know, through, you know. Is it cauliflower or broccoli or both? You know. Definitely know. broccoli. I know cauliflower because those are, that was, like, the little, it hadn't flowered yet, but yeah. you picked. It was like, what was that? Selective breeding. Uh, you know, we wanted through choice. Uh, we selected in a certain way just through, oh man, I really wanted to avoid this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh -oh. There's no avoiding anything here. Yeah. So one plan, we all wanted, we all, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm looking at cauliflower and how it's just one aspect of a plant, but there are many uses for different pieces of this plant or parts. Um, and then the cauliflower is actually an over-exaggeration of one of these parts, but because we, we, I don't want to use that word. It's a generalization, we get it. Thank you. Thank we you. get it. Yeah. Ha, Speaking ha, for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we now have the cauliflower, but was I going with that? I got really nervous there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I knew where you were going to, and now I'm, I don't know where. Jesse, do you know where he was going? Um, how it was a reflection of, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we had specific, we sought specific things from this plant, and those were overemphasized, and now we eat the cauliflower, because we continuously selected for them, and now we have various sizes of cauliflower or organic or not to say the least and purple. exactly <laughs> this is just like you know darwin's selective breeding situation oh, mm. 
I mean, it kind of like ties into too, like we'll use a part of anything really and then discard it. And we have all of this left in that we can use. I mean, we talk about this again, going back to plants because this is what I know. But even in the process of making tinctures, you macerate that plant, which for anyone who doesn't know what this means, um, you're putting the plant material into a solvent, a menstruum liquid, whatever you use, um, and you allow it to sit there, or you might use a heating method, but you're extracting the constituents from the plant, and then it comes into that liquid that you put the plant material into, and then you discard the plant material, and... Um, you know, let's go back to Seja, our favorite person ever. Yes. Um, <laughs> Bring in those spagyrics, baby. <laughs> right? Spagyrics, here we are. But it's not just Seja, too. So, like, let me not give them all the credit. We love you, Seja, but, like, we know it's not. It's, like, other people do this, too. But um, Seja um, emphasizes the importance of spagyrics where you're not throwing away that plant material. You're putting it through a different type of process. And then you end up utilizing all of the plant material and you're not discarding anything and i think this is something that we need to like come back to when we're talking about sustainability when we're talking about plants when we're talking about coffee when we're talking about anything is not discarding something when we don't see a use for it because if you just use your brain a little bit get a little creative which is something that we have a lot of creativity in the world but we're also missing it in a lot of ways like come back to that that you think you're going to discard and what can you use it for now and one example with food, if we're talking about cauliflower, like if you're cutting the heads off the cauliflower, you're using that in your soup, take the stem, freeze it to make a broth. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting so many more benefits from that too. The leaves as well. Um, also like sauteed or like air fried crispy cauliflower leaves are amazing. So mm-hmm. if you haven't done that, do it. <laughs> but yeah, like anything, like, even if something, maybe you did use the parts of it, but you think that that part doesn't have use anymore because it's not being used for what you were originally using it for. Like, think about it. What can you use it for now? Like, there's so much potential in everything around us. Yeah, yeah. So take MK's Arjuna tincture. This is what I'm getting <laughs> Take the tincture, get right with your intuition, get get this creativity flowing, maybe do a little movement, and then um, find ways to, yeah, just be creative about different ways that we can use things and seeing from kind of a different perspective than we are more traditionally taught, like this has one use for me, and then it goes to the landfill. Yeah, yeah, and we don't have to think about it anymore. Um, But we do because that's part of what's affecting our environment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big loop. It's a big loop. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to say, Ben? He's thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to toss in another. It's like a, I don't, it's a buzzword, but it's also, I think it's, imperative in a sense but buzzwords become buzzwords because they have meaning to them yeah mm-hmm. yeah true please throw it in all right so it's the whole it's a holistic worldview um so when i mean this what i mean by this or the way i'm trying to put this in to our discussion here is by considering that notion that everywhere on anywhere on the earth is different than everywhere else um that that little space is also a world, 
right? Uh, and this is important because just like Arturo Escobar was an anthropologist, I really enjoy reading anthropology. And uh, another one of my favorites, this guy is called Forget Burkis. And I found him through his dialogues on or his discussion and research on uh, traditional ecological knowledge, which is abbreviated as TEK. Um, but what he's discussing when he talks about TEK is how, you know, there were many different peoples and populations, all with a different identity uh, or yeah, identification of self based on the spaces that they operate in or that they were, you know, again, existing. Inhabiting is probably the best word to use there. Anyway, um, but this uh, traditional ecological knowledge isn't necessarily just an ancestry. You know, it's not just for the ancestors in the past and only meant to be there. Um, the way it continues or the way it's sustained is passing it from generation to generation. So it moves into the present. So it's continued. Um, and now he has another book and, you know, there's something again that I would like to read um, about this holistic view of understanding the environment you're surrounded by and embedded in. Um, and he moved his, uh, his discussion on this from thinking about it as a traditional ecological knowledge to local ecological knowledge or indigenous local ecological knowledge. Anyway. Uh, I feel like this goes perfectly with what you two were just discussing. Anyway, uh, it's from this chapter. Anyway, I'm just going to read it. These <laughs> inclusive ecosystems provide examples of the indigenous holistic view in which people are an integral part of the environment. Pantheism, the original religion of humankind, is a religion that is characterized by the identif identification of the universe with the creator. Nature is not merely a source of resources. The whole of the environment is sacred. And over the years, indigenous religions have all but disappeared. But the worldview associated with pantheism still survives. Many indigenous and traditional societies, including some of those that have been converted to Christianity, retain a culture guided by pantheism. In these societies, religion, worldview, and environmental practice are often one and the same. Yeah, that was really nice. <laughs> What's the name of this one? Yeah, so this book is by Frigid Burkis, and it's called Advanced Introduction to Community-Based Conservation. Um, and it's that type of holistic worldview, uh, you know, understanding is the whole being you know, many domains interacting and not necessarily as clean cut as we would like them to be, but nonetheless interacting with them dynamically. Um, and I think, you know, plants play a huge part in that, but, you know, it's, it's really difficult from the worldview we have to, to go back into such a, uh, Let's just say 
I call it a mosaic type of thinking because all these little pieces fit together. But yeah, it's hard when an yeah. overlap. Yeah. yeah. That's why I call it a mosaic. Yeah, anyway. I see the image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's important to bring up, again, holistic as, like, a buzzword, like, this trendy thing, too, because we see holistic as this, like, approach of how to take care of the self, but holistic is the whole, and the self is not the whole. The world beyond us is the whole. So if we're only focusing on what we're doing for ourselves, which is, I believe a very Western way of thinking, Westernized way of thinking, um, then we're not actually doing things holistically. We're not looking at the real whole. So it's about kind of like coming out of ourselves and seeing what's actually around us and making sure that it is not just beneficial to us, but also to that actual whole. And that's a real holistic point of view. There's a really good, um, company that I support a thousand percent, a skincare company, um, Evan Healy. And this is like their um, approach that they take is this actually seeing the world as the whole instead of just the person. So like for them, it's about holistic skincare, how it goes beyond the person. And they talk about where they source and all of that stuff. But I think, yeah, that's important when it comes to sustainability too, seeing outside of yourself as the whole. Otherwise, you're not really benefiting anyone in the long run let alone yourself you just reminded me of why i you know why i really got into this was like when i first was finding out about sustainability the huge connotation that was uh that really caught my attention was this idea of going back to the earth uh reconnecting with the earth and it was it became harder and harder the more i read to understand how that would actually occur without going completely off the grid. Mm. And then it was like, it wasn't necessarily an epiphany, but like, you know, the cogs kind of aligned there. And it was like, yo, you do that now. Like I'm <laughs> from St. Louis, um, but then I realized, you know, like, oh wow, okay. I'm from St. Louis. Like that's, you know, the place that I would call Home in a sense that's what I know the most and there's that idea of familiarity there that I can't tell anyone really what like St. Louis is really about unless you grew up there but it's that hometown kind of mentality um, I realized that you know sustainability moving forward is like oh I would have to continuously you know inform people of like St. Louis is like this but that's how identity and these spaces in a certain way not the only way but get sustained. Um, so that's why moving forward, you know, traditional ecological knowledge, plant-based knowledge, everything, you know, storytelling, you know, word spreading it, word of mouth, like, you know, what works, what doesn't work, and of course the reasons why. We do this this way because it is who we are. And I think that's one of the many threads that kind of like make sustainability increasingly difficult to understand, but at the same time, you know, really provide the heart of the sentiment of like, this is who we are and this is what needs to be preserved and this is why it's important. So it's a very, you know, as my professors would say, they would say sustainability is a wicked problem. And the more 
you find out, the more complicated it gets. But, yeah. Anyway. I don't know. Yeah. I just I want... Sorry, Jesse. We do it all the time. I know. <laughs> Very aligned. <laughs> but I just wanted to say thank you and express my gratitude, Ben, for you breathing light into the little worlds around us and in turn connecting with the larger whole. And I wrote down a lot of things as you were in your flow, (laughs) your flow state. I was like, yes, yes. Um, So I have like literally two pages of notes right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so um, I something that kept coming up for me when you were speaking was taking the holistic approach, right? The whole H-O-L like, or W-H-O-L-E, um, which is kind of a more, I feel like, accurate way of seeing it, spelling it. Um, yeah, maybe we should just change the spelling. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Contact whoever yeah. creates the dictionary. Webster, if that's even the dictionary's name, the author, I think it is Weber, <laughs> Weber, Webster. Anyway, I think it's Webster. Yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I feel like it's, oh my gosh, it's so vital to our future generations to embody this perspective now and really to start living as best as we can as gracefully and um it just it, i just feel like it's it's totally not even just about us or right now or the planet right now it's like you know our future generations and i like how you threaded in storytelling as well because a lot of the indigenous cultures around the world have um, kind of suffered in some of those ways as far as like their stories being told and these even the, the transmissions of these medicines and these rituals and these ceremonies not being um, passed down for future generations right like orally and it's very new for us to record all these things in paper <laughs> but in this life in the timeline of existence but yeah I just I feel like it's really important to to do this work as well to see from our holistic perspective for the future of every being here and um yeah I really like uh Stephen in Stephen's book again he talks about like recognizing the damage to the fabric of life and I really like that that thought um, and seeing how connected we are and like when you see that and then when you start to feel that and embody it you can you can clear as day recognize when things are kind of like damaging that that fabric of life and I'm trying to see that as fuel um, to to share this with the world right to um, yeah to make this more known but I have definitely experienced a lot of sadness, a lot of sorrow for the planet, um, the earth, 
and even flowed through, you know, states of depression over just the state of everything. And so, and I know that, you know, there's so much positivity and light that we can look upon to, to help us um, and to kind of transmute that. And like MK, you were talking about like spagyrics before and like the alchemical process, like, like transmuting like things that might seem like garbage that might seem that have no purpose or whatever. And, and literally alchemizing that to be used in a completely beautiful, different way. Um, So I know that that exists, you know, like we have the ability to alchemize our, our like, feelings about what's going on but Ben I really like want to hear if you have any suggestions on like how to like not not be like encompassed by some of the effects of what's going on in our planet you know if you have like things that you hold on to um to keep you um empowered and motivated to do this work <clears throat> there's so much um it's gonna be hard to kind of describe one um you know if i put it down to a word it would be diversity because you know when i was getting involved like initially with thinking about how to be sustainable i mean it was like a daunting task because one of the main things that I initially thought was that there needed to be a solution and that there was only one solution. And mm-hmm. that when we, you know, put the equation together and sent it to use or put it into practice, let's say that the problem would be over and that it'd be that simple. But to figure out what that is, was like, Oh man, I lost like, you know, I grew gray hair and fucking <laughs> eyes went cross and the whole deal. Um, it was perplexing. It was complex and perplexing. Um, but then I realized, you know, I just realized that, yeah, everywhere is different. And I use that word difference. Uh, I want to emphasize that. Um, because, you know, it's kind of, even when, you know, you look or think about two tigers, they're different. Um, although they're both tigers, They can't be the same tiger since there's two of them. But what they have is diversity. They make that idea of a tiger into a diverse idea. And I think that's kind of the simplest way that I can, you know, demonstrate or give an example of this notion. Because just like that, you know, there isn't one right way to make sustainability. And when I thought before that there was only one way, I became paralyzed. And it was so hard to find solutions because what works somewhere doesn't work everywhere. Or it's not going to be distributable or, you know, applied to the local context or, uh, you know, yeah, it, it might not even register with, like, you know, the local ways of life, which is what we were just alluding to. I think that's a very Western way of thinking is that it works for us, so it works for everyone. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly why diversity for me was like the huge uh, piece that kind of, you know, that propels me, that, you know, gives me the little 
sunflower of hope in a dark room situation. Like it's got to be there somewhere. Um, but you know, the way that I see diversity express itself the most is through culture. And so when I look at the all the different cultures that kind of you know scattered themselves across the surface of the earth, that it becomes very apparent that there's so much still there that you know needs to be discussed and needs to be not necessarily cataloged, but, you know, how do I say that? Interacted with and yeah, and through that engaged just by those simple actions, you know. Acknowledged even. Sometimes it's just not even acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. It just needs, and I think it's through, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, I know that I'm not a part of any of these cultures. You know, I'm, I'm an outsider in that sense. So I'm second, you know, they come first in this way. However, I also see their importance because I know I'm not a part of them. I'm just a part of something else. So there's like, you know, in one sense, this is a, a very lofty idea. However, you know, I think it's important to promote diversity and culture and all these different ways of knowing engaging with each other across yeah so many different domains but yeah i would say that that would be that would be my answer (laughs) (laughs) that's the final answer and we're done i'm just kidding (laughs) bye Uh, that's a wrap yeah thank you for that ben yeah there was something that I don't remember where this came from. So maybe you guys can help me thread it back into something that someone said. But I was like on a walk yesterday through the forest and I was like having a bad day. Well, not a bad day. I actually had a great day yesterday, but I was having a bad moment. So I needed to like kind of get away from those thoughts. And um, I was just thinking as I was walking because I wandered off the trail that I was on and I like went down to this river and there was like a tree that had fallen laying across it and I looked and there was reishi everywhere an abundance of reishi and I immediately forgot what was bothering me for about an hour and a half as I was like fascinated by these mushrooms that were growing around me and it made me think how it's like we like plants can help us in so many ways like when we take them internally or even when we have them around us but like being able to having the knowledge or the wisdom or whatever you want to call it to go out in the forest and like look around you and see like what is there actually see what's there instead of just a blur of different shades of green it's like a whole different type of medicine and i feel like that's something that's really missing in our world today and i know it threaded back into something about like passing down like the storytelling the like oral traditions and things like coming back to that like way of knowing um but I don't remember what else it threatened into. <laughs> but it, it was like a very powerful thought in my mind. So I wanted to put that out there and see if that like, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head as you guys were talking. Um, but I do know that, like I mentioned braiding sweetgrass at the beginning. And there were a lot of synchronicities that came up with me for that. Because Jesse, we talked about this when I was last in Connecticut. It was on your, your like desk thingy next to your bed and I was like wow that was recommended to me by someone and then it came up somewhere else and it's it's time for me to read it because it kept coming up and as I'm reading it it's talking about what we were just saying about like the storytelling and like losing that 
traditional knowledge and it talks about the pine i mean not pine but syrup and like all that stuff that just ties in in so many ways so i think that um that could be a good place for people to look for some maybe inspiration or for some knowledge or something relating to everything we're discussing today yeah the more indigenous wisdom and it's so beautiful and even it i i don't want to spill the beans but it's <laughs> it i really love how she finds a way to connect back to her lineage because she was not able to uh, speak the language and she was having so much difficulty I'm not sure where you are in the book but it's okay because <laughs> um, she, it's just a beautiful story so she's having a lot of difficulty understanding the language as she's trying to learn it from her elders and she's not understanding it's not making sense because a lot of the ways that they saw the world was that everything was animate and everything was alive and so she's like they're talking about this brook being like alive and she's like it doesn't make any sense like it's not it's a brook you know like how could like I be a brook right now like they're like be a brook and she's like what do you mean be a brook like this <laughs> doesn't be a brook I'm a, like a human and that's a brook and I think it's just a beautiful journey that she goes on connecting back to her roots actually through nature so she really like learns from being out in nature what exactly they are talking about when they say be a brook you know and how this goes back to what we're saying as well is like this brook is completely different it has a completely different essence and energy than the ocean over there and even though it's water it's it's its own environment then like you've been saying so I love how she just yeah goes on like this journey to connect with um her her roots through nature which are our roots too <laughs> yeah and I feel like that can be like one route to like sustainability is coming back into communion with the world around us and stop seeing us as superior to the plants to the animals because going back to that idea of holistic like we all are one we are one whole and when we start seeing ourselves as better than something else, then we're, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Come on, help me guys. <laughs> Exploiting it where we're not doing it any justice. We're not doing us any justice. And I think that that's like one, one route. I think there's so many, but yeah, yeah really beautiful and this will be the last quote that I quote from the lost language of plants um, or not quote but thought um, they talk about somewhere in there what's I mean there's so many ways that we can like separate ourselves from all that is but one way they were saying which I thought was interesting was how we've separated ourselves based on our way of thinking so like we have like pretty like evolved thinking evolved in quotes like <laughs> um which I mean the human we are just magical and it's just like but there's magic everywhere all around us but anyway <laughs> um <laughs> how you know yeah we kind of I don't want to say like, yeah, there could be this notion that we are more evolved because we think at a different capacity than 
we can understand another being thinking. So like, I thought that was interesting um, how we can like separate ourselves from that rock or that tree or my cat, because I think that I think differently than her, you know, and we think about, okay, when we can think at a more intellectual level that we might be more successful in life or something, you know? So like they kind of play with that, um, that perception of, you know, even like a doctor versus a janitor or something and like how we really can as a society put this realm of thinking, like it it separates us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think Sorry. Go ahead. I think that ties back into what Ben was saying about the one world versus like there being all these different worlds just because we think one way doesn't mean that there isn't another way of thinking that is just as like phenomenal. Like exactly. I mean, going back to braiding sweetgrass again, um, one part of it talks about like the way that um, the pine or the, were they talking? No, the maple the way that the maples communicate with each other and like know what they're doing when they're doing it and how do they know when to do this. It's something that we cannot in our minds, like really figure out yet where they are doing it. Mm -hmm. Although we'll try. So it's not. We'll try to figure it out and we will. (laughs) Yes, totally. Yeah. I was like having this conversation actually like on my way home with my sister tonight. Like I was just like, you know, we think we're so like, I'm just like talking crap about us humans. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. But I'm like, I really do love us. (laughs) But I was like, you know, like, we can't like change our skin color like some animals and some insects and like we can't fly like we can't figure out how to do these things so like just like they can't you know maybe figure out how to do what we're doing but that doesn't mean that we are any less than than Mm -hmm. any of the beings and what they're you know capable of doing so yeah yeah there's there's so much to comment on um (laughs) But I would just like to chuck a, a couple thoughts in the mix really quick. Um, so I, you know, I, was, I love reading, uh, you know, anthropology, but also philosophy. And the reason why I emphasize the word difference is because my favorite philosopher, his name is uh, Gilles Deleuze, Gilles Deleuze. And, uh, you know, in one, one of his last works is called what is philosophy and in this book he outlines something very simple and it's this notion kind of set apart uh, what does it mean to think he delves into this in a few of his books anyway the one that he outlines in what is philosophy is very simple it says i we thou i am something i know you know i just it's, it appears to me without me having to think of it um, but it also must be thought that's where it gets a little tricky, but anyway, I'll continue. We are this group here, you know, we, at least the three of us and any listeners involved, but then thou is this other one, you know, and there's so much to it in the sense that what you're making me think about is that there's only one way of understanding community and understanding you know, justice, the good and the bad, let's say, political thought. And 
also ways of self-identifying. Who am I? Am I the brook that is still alive? Or am I the plant? Like there's, when do I, where do I begin and where do I stop? But there is one person that kind of set the tone for us nowadays. And it's quite simple. It says, I think, therefore I am. And, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, it served its purpose. It's given us, you know, independence and agency. And it's definitely one of these larger discussions too, that does require many different, you know, I, I don't want to say that it's run its course, but the havoc, the havoc that it continues to sow, let's just say, um, yeah. The consequences are piling up, and I think that's something that, you know, I think you two are very, you're a part of the reason why I want to continue to do and do more of what I'm trying to do with sustainability, because, you know, it's nice to know that there are others out there that want to think differently, that want to explore new avenues for the future. But new avenues also can be looking backwards. Mm. Mm. I'm quoting you on that everywhere. <laughs> but I also, you know, I will read another quote about this. And you can totally cut this out later if you feel fit to. <laughs> but it goes back to this community-based conservation book. And it's chapter five. And the chapter is titled Multiple Ways of Knowing, Indigenous and Local Knowledge. This is the first paragraph from the introduction. But, you know, I think it it ties into how we understand modern science, how kind of our philosophical thoughts and political thoughts also like, um, you know, move forward some of those agendas with restricting others. Um, but, you know, that there's also opportunity to be creative again. But here we go. Indigenous and local knowledge is accumulated wisdom of the ages. However, it's use in conservation and related fields has started receiving recognition only in recent years. Uh, many scientists and policymakers are not quite sure what indigenous and local knowledge is, what it can do, and how it can be used along with Western science. As, not, as a knowledge system, indigenous local knowledge has many similarities to science. But as the previous chapter pointed out, it is also different in some important ways. To understand the role of indigenous peoples in community conservation, it is important to have an understanding of indigenous and local knowledge and, in, and indigenous ways of knowing or epistemologies. And that's why I wanted to come in and interject with my I, we, thou, because that aligns directly with epistemologies. So what our beliefs are. Yeah, I like that. We're not gonna cut that one out. We're gonna keep that one. Yeah, no, <laughs> it can stay. I don't, you know, I'm like, I'm quoting all these books, but at the same time, you know, they've also, I call them my friends, these authors, because, you know, as much as I have my own ideas, it's nice to read books like this and know that like, Oh, cool! Like somebody else thinks about these things too, and you can go backwards too. Like to move forward, we can go backwards. That's how I felt when you said that, and I think that's how Jesse and I—not to speak for you, Jesse—but I think you'll agree how Jesse and I feel with 
Seja, mm. who we talk about all the time. Um, his thoughts are my thoughts, my thoughts are his thoughts. Kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> we are one. <laughs> we do not we exist in different environments. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's not that I like take ideas from them, but I feel like very supported by when I, yeah, it's, it's nice to have some. Oh, yeah. Makes you feel less alone in the world sometimes. And I can take more chances and think some crazier stuff because now I've read that I'm not the only one. (laughs) Absolutely. I feel like that's kind of what this podcast is for. Um, Putting those thoughts, those ideas, those, these are candid conversations and we're just letting it all flow here. And um, you might think we're crazy, but there's but a bunch of us, so it can't be that crazy. No, these two <laughs> books, like the Pluriverse, Pluriversal Politics, published 2020, and uh, Berkus, the Community Based Conservation, 2021. So it's like super current that these oh, thoughts are. staying up to date with reading. Yeah, I, <laughs> I definitely lag sometimes. Um, yeah, so we'll definitely put those in the show notes. Um, Growing there too. I'm not going to talk about it because we're going like on a long. Like we've been on here pretty long. But, a long journey. <laughs> yeah, original Wisdom, Stories of an Ancient Way of Knowing by Robert Wolf was kind of like my introduction to um, thinking outside of the, the westernized box, the white picket fence houses and whatnot. Um, so I'll share that in the show notes too. But Lots I, think, yeah, I think we've been talking for a while, so we can bring it to a, a close. If we must. I mean, we can do this again. <laughs> Absolutely. Any last thoughts? I am just very moved by this conversation and for having Ben as our first guest here on What's the Tea. I'm just really privileged and honored to share this this time and the space and this energy with with you guys and thank you for the reminders to yeah return back to the earth and to breathe a holistic perspective and um, also bringing bringing light to the individual worlds and like the local um, I love that you're threading in all of that like local conversations and I think it's really important and I'm just happy that we have the opportunity to share that May I have one more final note? No. Please. Please. Oh, it's what you just said. And it was uh it said return to the earth. And that's one thing that, you know yeah. There are these little I always say they're like willow wisps, just like you know, you can't really put your finger on them, but there's just little things that I would like to untwine and straighten out. And uh, yeah, so I'll be starting my consultancy here, or it'll be up and running in February. And uh, the little tagline is like, rather than saying return to, it says closer to, because mm. you can only move forward, you know, as much as like, yeah, I, you know, I'm Guatemalan and I, romanticized the Mayans to a certain degree. And I mean, their cosmology was a huge part of why I wanted to understand diversity of cultures, but I realized that they didn't move back to what came before them. They moved closer to the earth. 
Mm. And that was something, or that's actually my little, mm-hmm. my little tagline, closer to earth. Mm. Do you also want to share the name of your consultant? Because this will probably be actually shared. We're, we're talking in January now, but we'll probably be launching this one in February. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, it's, it's Orchidaceae, which is the plant name for the, the orchid family. Uh, the ta- taxonomic taxonomy yeah. family name of the orchid family, but the reason it or kind of went that way was because you know sustainability in my head is not something that's made. Um, you know, it's not like you know it's not going to be. How do I put this? A tangible thing. And but you don't it, need to create a new thing in order to do it. Exactly. So yeah. orchids, they grow on trees, but the tree was already there before. So it just blooms on what is already there. And so that's why it's called Orchidaceae in short. So, yeah. It's beautiful. Good being. Okay. Well, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Jesse. Um, I feel like we're going to have to have another conversation sometime. Maybe after your consultancy is up and running and we can come back and see where it's, it's taking you. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to say closer to the earth now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If that's okay. (laughs) Make sure you quote him. (laughs) Yes, I definitely (laughs) Beautiful. And we will put in the show notes where you can find Ben. And thank you again for your time. And thank you to our listeners for sticking around this long and to hear us speak on this. Until next time. Thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. Ladies. Peace. (laughs) Peace and love.